I'm going to start off with a joke, and I'm going to, I, I tell you it's a joke in the beginning because it's, it's a little dark in the beginning, so I didn't want you to think I was serious. Uh, there was three, three ladies, all best friends. They were on a girl trip, and they died tragically in a car accident. And they, I know, everybody say, aw. They showed up at the gates of heaven, and St. Peter is there, and he says, welcome to heaven, ladies. He said, uh, this, you could do whatever you want here in heaven. There's only one rule that we have. It's don't step on the ducks. And the ladies looked at each other, don't step on the ducks. And he opened the gates of heaven, and sure enough, there are thousands and thousands of ducks walking the grounds of heaven. And the ladies tried really hard not to step on the ducks, but only a few hours went by. And the first lady stepped on a duck, and St. Peter showed up with the most ugly man she'd ever seen. And he shackled this ugly man to this woman, and he says, because you stepped on a duck, you will be chained to this man for all of eternity. The next woman, the next woman went about a week and she stepped on a duck and St. Peter showed up with the ugliest man she'd ever seen. And he shackled this man to her and said, because you stepped on a duck, you will be chained to this man for all of eternity. Well, the third woman, months and months went by and she didn't step on a duck. And St. Peter shows up with the most handsome, most beautiful man she'd ever seen. And he shackles this man to her. And she says, what did I do to deserve such a handsome man being chained to me for all of eternity? And he looked at her and said, I don't know about you, but I stepped on a duck. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You know, I hope that is not what heaven is like. And for the next three weeks, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about What Jesus taught about salvation and eternal life and the kingdom of God and what is necessary to be saved. Sozo is the Greek word most often translated to save, but it can also be translated to heal or deliver or to make whole. And I've often asked people, when did you get saved? When was that moment that you got saved? Meaning, when was the initial moment that you either came to the altar or you raised your hand in church or you said the sinner's prayer or a combination of those things. When did you get saved? Now, I want to be clear that there is an initial moment of awakening when we confess our sins and we receive Jesus' forgiveness through his sacrifice on the cross and we offer our lives to God. But so many American Christians see this moment as the golden ticket moment. The moment you received your entrance into heaven and now you can sit back and relax and wait for Jesus to return and save us from this difficult life, to sweep us away. And if God's goal was to simply get as many people into heaven as possible, then the best thing would probably be to... To kill us immediately after that moment, initial moment of salvation. And over the course of the next three weeks, I hope to convince you that God's goal isn't merely to get people into heaven. He wants to get heaven into people. He wants to get heaven into you. And so we're going to be discussing, discussing, discussing questions like, what did Jesus mean when he talked about eternal life, heaven and the kingdom of God? We're going to ask What is required of me to enter the kingdom of God? How do I experience salvation? And can a person lose their salvation? 
All very important questions, aren't they? And so I want to begin this series about salvation by first discussing what it is or where it is that we are saved into. And so today, let's talk about what Jesus had in mind when he spoke about heaven and the kingdom of God. Years ago, I remember watching uh, the Planet Earth documentaries. Anybody seen the Planet Earth episodes before? There is this one episode where they were somewhere in Mexico. I'm not exactly sure where they were, but there's this scene where these men are base jumping into the mouth of this giant cavern, this giant cave that's just like a mile deep. And they're base jumping into this cave, and they pull their chutes as they're descending into the cave, and they land in this beautiful pool of water. And I remember thinking to myself, like, it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen in my life. Like, uh, this documentary, this, this planet Earth depicted this place as the most beautiful place. And I said, I wonder if that is what heaven is like. In fact, when I die... I'm going to use my flying superpowers to fly to this place in Mexico. And I'm going to, I'm just going to, without a parachute, just jump off because it's heaven, right? Just jump off and I'm going to dive gracefully into this pool of water. And most people, myself included, we get our ideas of heaven from Hollywood, which, which would depict heaven as an eternal pleasure factory, where you're always happy, you have amazing superpowers, and you can do whatever you want. That's Hollywood heaven. Somebody said, is that not right? Is that not it? It's a place, we think in our minds that heaven is a place where anybody would love to spend eternity as long as they were allowed into it. And so this view of heaven as the eternal pleasure factory, the Hollywood heaven... It causes people to wonder, why wouldn't God let more people in? Why didn't he make it more accessible? And the problem is that the life after death that Jesus described, it's very different from Hollywood heaven. The main truth about heaven is this. This is what we need to know most importantly about heaven. The main truth about heaven is, is that heaven will be life with God. It will be life with God. In fact, in heaven, it will be impossible to avoid God. You won't have to track down God by asking Moses or David where he is. Have you seen God lately? Which way did he go? I have a question I want to ask him. No, heaven doesn't contain God. In fact, God contains heaven. It wouldn't be heaven unless the presence of God was there. It is what makes heaven heaven. It's the fact that heaven is life with God. So here's the problem. Becoming the kind of person who wants heaven, an uninterrupted life with God, it's a problem because I often want freedom to do the things that I don't want God to see. The real heaven is a place where my every thought, my every action, every motive, every word, they are completely open to God for all of eternity. Have you ever committed a sexual sin before? I guarantee that you didn't do it while your mother was watching. Why? Because it would take all the fun out of it, wouldn't it? In order, get this, in order to enjoy your sin, you have to be somewhere that your mother isn't. In heaven, 
There isn't a place where you can escape God's presence. You can't sneak away for a quick sin to quickly get what you want and then return. No, there isn't a place like that. It's uninterrupted life with God. One of my kids asked if they could have a snack from the pantry, and I told them, go ahead, grab a snack, but make sure it's not sugary. It can't be candy or something. And I I walked into the kitchen as they were standing on a stool, and they were reaching into the candy basket. And my child looked at me and said, go away, Daddy. Go away. Because they knew... All of, all of us, even at young ages, we have a desire to be unobserved in our wrongdoings. We don't want anybody to see us do it. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And that is why the promise of sin kept secret is attractive to humans. We want to be unobserved. We want a place to sneak away, to go away so that we can quickly sin And then maybe we'll come back to God later. I love this quote by John Ortberg. He wrote this. Heaven is the kind of place where people who want to sin would be miserable. A non-smoking restaurant is great if you're a non-smoker, but miserable to a nicotine addict. John Henry Newman, he wrote, heaven is not for everyone. It is an acquired taste. We laugh. It's a little humorous. But it's true. People are critical of Christianity because heaven is depicted as this exclusive club that everyone is trying to get into, but God has limited access. Right? I've only got a few spaces available. Quickly, RSVP by saying this prayer in church. Right? But the truth we discover when reading scripture is that no one really wants heaven until they have been given a new nature. No one really wants uninterrupted life with God until they've been given a nature by the Spirit of God that changes their desires to want uninterrupted life with God. So the question isn't so much, are you getting in or not? It's, are you becoming the kind of person for whom heaven would be an appropriate and welcome setting for yourself? If I don't want the unceasing presence of God in my life now, how will I want God's unceasing presence for eternity when the option for sin is completely cut off? Is this changing a little bit of how you think about heaven? It changes the way I think about heaven when I consider this, is that I want to become the type of person now, here on earth, who wants uninterrupted life, with God. How can I expect to enjoy heaven if I still have motivations and desires for sin now? Now, I'm not sure about purgatory, but I do know that Jesus was teaching his followers to become exactly like himself and do what he did. By the way, purgatory is is the Catholic's solution for this problem. That the Catholic Church essentially believes that everybody will spend some amount of time in purgatory. And it is the place you go in between earth and heaven where you are purged from those sinful motivations and those desires. And you are becoming in purgatory the type of person that would actually enjoy uninterrupted life with God. 
Now, I don't know about purgatory. I don't believe that is what the Bible talks about. But I believe that Jesus wants to do that in our lives today. He wants us to become today the type of people who want his unending presence. More than getting us into heaven, Jesus taught about how to get heaven into us. To become the type of people who want God's unending presence all the time. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples to pray this in Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' mission was to bring heaven to earth. And his desire was for his followers to partner with him in this mission. Now, I stopped watching the news a couple years ago. So I'm often the last person to hear about things. And uh, anybody else stop watching the news? Is your life just extremely better now that you stop watching the news? <laughs> yeah, just way more carefree now. Now, I'm in the dark a lot. That's okay. I have other people to tell me, no, I subscribe to a Christian news source that emails me the bullet points uh, three times a week. It's called the pour over. If anybody else wants to do this. Uh, you could go to the pour over. They send you a Monday, Wednesday, Friday email that kind of gives you the bullet points of what's happening throughout the world. And that's where I get my news. Jesus was, among other things, he was a news announcer. Jesus brought news of the kingdom. This is what Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom... And healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria. Jesus went around announcing something that had happened. It had already taken place. And that thing was that God's kingdom or heaven had come to earth when Jesus was born that Christmas morning. And it, was, it wasn't just any old news that the kingdom of God had come. This was good news. This is what the word gospel means. The word gospel means good news. And Jesus went around all over the, 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 the earth at the time proclaiming this good news that the kingdom of heaven has come and it has come in the form of Jesus Christ. I have a degree in ministry and leadership and every year I received I receive a, a renewed Foursquare license in the mail that says I'm a licensed minister of the gospel. And you would think that as a licensed minister of the gospel, I would understand this gospel that I've spent my life pursuing and attempting to understand better. But until just a few weeks ago, I never considered that Jesus preached a gospel. I always assumed that it was something that was declared after Jesus died. That the gospel was his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. But Jesus did have a gospel, and he thought that it was the greatest, most important thing in all of history. And so it's surprising to me that I have missed it all these years that Jesus had a gospel. Mark 1, 14 through 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke 9, 1 through 2. When Jesus had called the 12 together, <clears throat> he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons 
and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Acts 1.3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus' good news, his gospel, was this. The kingdom of God has now, through Jesus, become available for ordinary humans to live in. That was his gospel, his good news. And there isn't more than just one gospel. When you read the first four books of the New Testament... They aren't separate Gospels. We often say the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. But the original translation, it's the Gospel according to Matthew. It's the Gospel according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. There is only one Gospel. It's Jesus' Gospel. And the Gospel does include his death and resurrection and new life. But the point that Jesus was trying to make when he was here on earth is that the kingdom of God has come now in the person of Jesus, that he ushered in the kingdom of God and it is available to you now. You can have heaven now if you want it. Jesus's death and resurrection only strengthened his gospel. But this is still Jesus's gospel. We don't use the word kingdom very much in our daily lives, do we? And the question is, well, what is, what is a kingdom? Everyone has a kingdom. I love what Dallas Willard says about a kingdom. He, he says, a kingdom is the range of our effective will. The range of our effective will. It's the little sphere in which you say, oh, not that quote. We're going to get to that in a minute. But a kingdom is the little sphere in which what you say goes. That's your kingdom. God created all mankind with a desire to have a kingdom. In Genesis 1.26, this is what God said in the beginning. He said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Dominion is kingdom talk. It's kingdom language. And when you observe a toddler today, you can see that we are born with a desire for a kingdom. Because one of, the first learn, one of the first words that a kid learns is what? Mine. Don't touch it. That is my kingdom. It belongs to me. That's kingdom talk. I remember sharing a room with my brother. In fact, I didn't have my own room until I was about 17 years old is when I finally got my own room. But I remember sharing a room with my little brother, Brian. And I remember one day we placed a strip of tape down the middle of the room. Anybody ever done this with your sibling before? And the point was I wanted to keep my little brother out of my kingdom. Right? This, is, this side is my kingdom. And after defending our kingdoms for a while, and he would agitate me and put his foot on my side, and we'd yell at each other back and forth, stay out of my kingdom. This is my line. This is my spot, my side of the room. I remember my dad came into the room, and he told us to stop fighting. Because he thought the whole house was his kingdom. <laughs> it was his place. The same thing happens when we're in the car. You know, as kids, we're like, don't, don't touch me. Don't cross this line. You stay on that side. And dad's in the front going, trying to reach back there. And Hey, this, I'm going to pull this car over. This is my car. I get to pick the music. You guys be quiet. This is my kingdom. 
Yes, apply the brakes. That'll do it. <coughs> you see, on earth, all of our little kingdoms, they merge and form larger kingdoms. We have our families, our businesses, our nations, economic, political, cultural systems. All of that big mess that is all conglomerated together, those little kingdoms all form into what we call the kingdom of earth. It is the kingdom of earth, and it's not going so well. The kingdom of earth is not doing too well right now. In fact, five minutes after watching the news, it will depress even the most optimistic person. There's people killing each other in the name of religion. Women and children being sexually exploited. Thousands of babies dying daily due to malnutrition. There's racial injustice. Marriages and families broken apart. There's extreme political polarization. There's cynicism and fear and isolation. The kingdom of earth isn't working for humanity. It's falling apart on us. Because we've tried to be in control. Remember, a kingdom is where what you say goes. It's your sphere of influence. And we've tried to control every place and every person and everything. And it's not going so well. And many people finish watching the news and we drop to our knees and we say, Beam me up, Scotty. Get me out of here. Jesus, get me out of here. Before you light this place up with fire, I need you to get me out of here. But Jesus didn't teach us to pray that way. He taught us to pray his will be done, not our will, that his kingdom would come, not our kingdom, that it would come to earth. And we're supposed to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will be done. The Father's will and the Father's kingdom here on earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. This verse is often applied to what is waiting for us in heaven. It says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. The promise of salvation is not that eternity It's not that in eternity we're going to be disembodied spirits living in a golden bricked retirement community. And it's not that we are going to be in a never-ending church service. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. That sounds like hell. I'm sorry. It's so much better. It's got to be. That's not the promise of salvation. That's not the promise of eternity. In fact, here's what Dallas Willard said. Here's that quote you were reading earlier. It says this. Dallas Willard said, Our destiny is to be part of a tremendously creative team effort under unimaginably splendid leadership on an inconceivably vast scale with ever-increasing cycles of productivity and fulfillment. And that is what eye has not seen and ear has not heard in the prophetic vision. I happen to agree with Dallas Willard here. Not that there will be those things in hell. I do believe that that heaven will be unimaginable. I do believe that God has something splendid waiting for you after you die. 
But the promise of salvation, the goal, is to experience the kingdom of heaven here and now, today, to partner with God in bringing his kingdom to earth. I'm going to invite Mary to come up. We're going to land this plane in just a little bit. Every time you experience conflict with someone and you want to hurt them, you want to gossip about them, you want to avoid them, but instead you go to them and you seek reconciliation and forgiveness, heaven is breaking into this world. The kingdom of God is coming to earth. Every time you have a sum of money and you decide to give sacrificially to someone who's hungry or poor, the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. Every time somebody who struggles with addiction wants to partner with God so badly that they're willing to stop isolating, to discover truth, and to get help from a community of people that love them, the kingdom of heaven is breaking into this earth. When a workaholic parent decides to stop idolizing their job, and rearranges their life to begin loving their spouse and their children, the kingdom of heaven is breaking into this world. You see, we live in multiple kingdoms simultaneously. There are multiple wills at work. The will of our nation, the will of our families, the will of our friends and families, our friends and our parents, but also there's your will, what you want for your life what your kingdom wants. And Jesus is saying there is another kingdom that is happening simultaneously alongside all of these other kingdoms. We often ask, why is the world, if Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, why does it all look so messy still? Why are things still broken? It's because it is existing at the same time as all the other kingdoms. And Jesus, his mission was to get people to realize that they had access to that kingdom. That they could invite the kingdom of heaven onto earth for God's will to be done, for his kingdom to come instead of our will, instead of our kingdoms being built. And that is the invitation, that is the gospel that we still preach today. We are not only saved to a place that we will go after we die. Although that is true. Jesus has prepared a place for you when you die. You will spend eternity with him. But we are saved, more importantly, to get heaven into us. To be kingdom bringers and kingdom builders. There's this amazing story in Luke chapter 19, verse 8 and 9, about Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. And Jesus went to his house and dined with Zacchaeus. And it says this, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. What did Jesus say? He said, Today salvation has come to this house. And that didn't mean that Zacchaeus will be with Jesus someday in heaven, although it does mean that. Of course it means that. Jesus meant that Jesus has come to him in his house. 
salvation being the person of Jesus. Jesus himself has flooded Zacchaeus, his family, and his business, and the way that he lives. So this corrupt tax collector is now a kingdom bringer, and he's partnering with God and bringing heaven to earth. It completely changed the way that he lived and acted. This was heaven coming to earth. And you can be a kingdom bringer as well. You can experience the kingdom of heaven today. When you step into what God is doing and you stop praying, Lord, would you bless all the things that are happening in my life? Bless the work that I'm doing. Bless this, this plan that I have. Bless my future. When you stop praying like that and you start praying, praying, Lord, show me what you're already blessing so that I can just be a part of that. Show me the things that you are doing, the kingdom that you're building, and I will step into what you are doing. I will come alongside you and let your will be done in my life. Eternity is not just a place that we await. It's something that Jesus wants to place in your heart so that you can share it with others here here and now. I believe it's Ecclesiastes 3.11 that says, He has placed eternity in the human heart. All of us have eternity inside of us, a desire to experience oneness with God, unending relationship with God. And so are you becoming the person now who exudes heaven, who wants uninterrupted life with God? And let me tell you, it does not happen in the blink of an eye. But this is what we believe spiritual formation, discipleship is. It's where we turn into the person that Jesus is creating us to be. It doesn't, we don't just wake up like this, but we devote our lives to God. It's called the process of sanctification, becoming more and more and more like the person of Jesus. And that is what God is doing in our lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want so desperately to be used by you. We want your kingdom to come and your will be done. Father, when we said yes to you, what we said was, Jesus, would your kingdom come to my life and your will be done in my life here and now? Let me be a person that exudes the love of Jesus, that shares the love of Jesus with everyone that I meet. God, show me how I can partner with you under your leadership to do something far beyond what we could have ever imagined seen. Lord, we love you, and we give you our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.